and welcome to another installment in our series of podcasts celebrating LGBTQIA plus history month. I'm Sarah Clark, a barrister at Gatehouse Chambers. And I'm Zoe Meller, Practice Operations Director at Gatehouse. And we are delighted to welcome Insolvency and Company Court Judge Sally Barber as our guest. ICC Judge Barber was called to the bar in 1988, having been the first member of her mixed heritage family to go to university and the first from her state school to win an Oxbridge place. She built a successful chancery practice and as an advocate is probably best remembered for her work on cable tele installation limited, a remuneration challenge which was so successful it contributed to a fundamental shake-up of the insolvency questions approach to remuneration. ICC Judge Barber is a venture of Lincoln's Inn and was appointed as a Deputy Bankruptcy Registrar of the High Court in 2007 before taking up her current full-time appointment in 2009. She continues to make her mark on insolvency and company law, not only through her meticulous judgments, but also as a member of the Insolvency Rules Committee, an editor of the White Book, and as a specialist insolvency tutor for the Judicial College. ICC Judge Barber, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. And may we call you Sally? Yes, of course. Wonderful. Sally, I wonder whether I may start us off today uh, with the first question. Um, There's a lot of talk about identity these days, and many of us feel there are multiple facets to our identity. Who would you say you are? Gosh, that's a tricky one. <laughs> um, I think we're, in reality, we're all a myriad of different things in different relationships, different contexts, and at different times of our lives. Uh, in my 20s, for example, I was quite a career-driven woman, and I married another barrister, Julian, uh, when I was 29, and we spent much of our time working And uh, in our leisure time, throwing dinner parties with impossible menus, which were far (laughs) too ambitious, (laughs) with everyone sitting down to eat at 10 o'clock at night. I think we've all done that. Um, And then in my 30s, I became a mother and had my two beautiful sons, Ben and Josh. And that opened up a completely new dimension of me, which jockeyed with the career woman. I think all barrister parents will know what I mean. Mm. I loved my sons fiercely, but I was a really rubbish parent to them when they were small, uh, as I was so busy and distracted. I was always forgetting to send them in with a packed lunch when it was picnic day. And I would send them into school in school uniform when it was mufti day, that sort of thing. Mm. I can only hope that they might one day forgive me for that. And and then in my 40s, I fell in love with a woman and that opened up yet another dimension of me and a completely new chapter in my life and in the life of my family. Um, And then in my 50s, I married for the second time uh, Anita, the legend, who describes herself as my trophy wife, as she is, of course. (laughs) Um, So I I think we are all a continuum of many different things, really. On a snapshot basis, right now, I'm fairly simple to describe, I think. I'm I'm a wife, a mother, a lesbian and a judge. Mm. So that's a short answer with a rather long introduction. Thank you. And what, if anything, do you think the the 
L of the LGBTQIA plus element of your identity adds to the professional that you are? Well, I don't think it does add anything to me as a judge, to be honest, because as a judge, my own sexuality is completely irrelevant and I treat everyone the same. Um, as a person, leaving aside the judge hat, I do feel that the lesbian element of my identity and now living my life as a lesbian has enriched my understanding of others. Um, I now feel I have far more empathy for what others in the LGBTQ plus community go through as I've experienced some of it myself. Um, and living my life as a lesbian, I also now have a far wider circle of friends in the LGBTQ plus mm -hmm. community. So I have many more informal social opportunities to learn what others are experiencing and also how they deal with it, which is quite informing. Uh, just to give an example, I, I remember a friend of mine telling me that she was kissing her girlfriend in the street one night, um, probably on the way to a bus stop or something or waiting for an Uber, um, when a couple of young lads passing by bellowed out, you know, the usual lesbians. And she just turned to face them and looked them in the eye, waited for a minute and then said, oh, is that it? And the lads didn't know what to do with that response. Um, <laughs> and they just walked on, probably feeling rather foolish. And I, I think it's very instructive. And in fact, when I heard that story from my friend, it did remind me of a tale that my mother told me about another form of prejudice, racial prejudice that my grandfather had experienced. Um, and it, it had clear parallels, I think. My, my grandfather was a black Barbadian who had settled in England in the 1920s when there were relatively few black people living in England. And he was in a department store one day when a child pointed at him uh, and exclaimed to his mother, look, mum, a black man. And the mother started scolding the child, but my grandfather apparently stopped her saying, your son is quite right, madam, I am black. Mm. And, and you see the parallels. There's something about owning who you are, which is extremely empowering. And I, I really would like to see a far greater LGBTQ plus visibility at the bar and on the bench. Um, I know Terry Atherton moved mountains to raise the profile of the LGBTQ plus community, but there's still much to be done there. Uh, and I'm actually part of a group organizing the first LGBTQ plus dinner at Lincoln's Inn at the moment uh, with a view to building on uh, the work that was started by Terry Atherton. Yes, because I suppose that's one of the, the challenges of it is that unlike other protected characteristics where there's a sort of typically there's a degree of visibility to to the protected characteristic. It is, you know, it, it is easy to tell that someone is female or that they are non-white, for example, um, in, in many instances. Um, but obviously with um, being issues of sexuality, 
and of gender, it's not necessarily always obvious. And so there is a degree of having to come out to disclose and about things that are in some ways personal and not at all connected to the professional, as, as you've sort of acknowledged in your um, answer to our second question. And so you have to make a choice in terms of sharing that information to some extent. And I think that in itself takes an awful lot of courage to be at the vanguard of that movement. Yes, I, uh, I I think it is really important, though, and it's important on a number of levels. Um, but one aspect that I think is really important is to send the message out to other members of the LGBTQ plus community at the bar and on, on the bench that you are not alone, yeah. because it can be quite isolating if you're not out professionally and and to know that you are part of a community um, is very empowering and I think we should do, do all that we can to encourage it. Um, I wonder whether um, I could ask um, our next one um, and whether in your um, in your past or in your present there's historic LGBTQIA plus people that have inspired you and whether you might be able to tell us about one. Oh, there are so many to choose from. Um, <laughs> so many inspiring journeys. It's difficult to know where to start. I have a huge, huge respect for many of my forebears. Um, if I have to choose one, I think it would be Vita Sackville-West. Um, I'm a huge fan of hers. Um, ironically, a little aside, um, <laughs> My first marriage took place in a church in Withyham uh, in Sussex, which has a plaque to Vita Sackville West. Um, and I, I, I didn't know at the time that I was... <laughs> that you were on this journey. <laughs> I didn't know at the time that I chose that church that uh, there would be uh, such a such an ironic plaque on the wall there um possibly a message from my future uh, <laughs> at the time um well obviously i i why do i love Vita? well i love her gardens in sissinghurst obviously and um me, most years i do a a little pilgrimage there um but i think the thing i admire most about her is is that she was such an independent thinker who had the courage, the confidence to shrug off societal norms and just live the life she wanted to live. Um, and I know much is made of her relationship with Virginia Woolf, but I think one of the most entertaining stories I've heard about her is that of her affair with a woman named Violet Trefusis, in 1918. Uh, Violet was an old friend of Vita's. Um, I think Vita had once spontaneously snogged her when they were in their teens, but otherwise they were just friends. And Violet asked to come to stay for a fortnight. And initially Vita was wondering how on earth she was going to entertain her for a whole fortnight. But in fact, they ended up striking up a passionate affair and running off to Monte Carlo, where they stayed for several months. And over their time in Monte Carlo, 
Vita took on another character and dressed exclusively as a wounded war soldier called Julian. Um, <laughs> as you do. As, 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 as you do. Whilst at the same time writing up the first draft of another novel. And it's just such a glorious adventure. And ultimately, the affair blew over, but it does sound like it was great fun for a while. And I love that spontaneity. Well, I can, uh, that does sound like an inspiring story. <laughs> so, it sounds like something from a novel, really. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Fourth question is, what does LGBTQIA plus History Month mean to you? Uh, for, well, for me personally, um, it's an extremely rich opportunity to connect with others included under the LGBTQIA a plus umbrella across many centuries. And as, as a late out lesbian, as I'm known, uh, a, late, a late developer, I know I have much to learn. So it's a good opportunity for some learning. Yes, I suppose if, if you're as, as a late out lesbian, you sort of miss the sort of the, the teenage years of forming that identity and probably a time when an awful lot of research and that sort of thing is done by a lot of people. That sort of the, the tribe establishing stuff that you do as a teenager, which you sort of maybe have less time for as a as an adult. Um, it's quite. I mean, slotting it all in is is quite difficult. A big steep <laughs> learning curve to approach in your forties. And um, so, LGBTQ by A plus History Month is a really good opportunity for me just to tap in, mm. and I I try to acquaint myself with the tale of the life of, you know, a few individuals each year, um, uh, just tapping into the resources that are available on the internet to do so. So we're delighted that this is the 50th year of Pride. Um, and the theme is the arc is long, which comes from Martin Luther's quote. Um, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. Um, I'm wondering whether that resonates for you. Yes, yes. It speaks to me on a number of different levels. Uh, obviously, it speaks to me as a, a woman of mixed heritage. Um, and it also speaks to me as a lesbian. Uh, before this interview, I actually reminded myself of uh the speech that that quote comes from, uh, and I, I listened to it uh, on YouTube, and I was covered in goosebumps. It's so moving, and I would encourage all of your listeners just to take a few moments uh, to hear it as it was delivered at the time. Um, there's obviously still much to be done to combat all forms of prejudice, including racism, but also including homophobia and transphobia in this country and all around the world. I think my, my one comfort is that while no one generation gets it completely right, overall, we are moving in the right direction. And importantly, each generation builds on the successes of the last. So my sons, for example, are now in their 20s. And their generation is already streets ahead of where my generation was at their age. They're far more evolved 
on issues of gender identity, sexuality and heritage than, than we ever were. And that does fill me with great hope for the future. Well, on that very positive note, I'm going to say uh, thank you, Sally, for giving us your time to be interviewed. My uh, pleasure. Thank you very, very much. Oh, good fun. State House Chambers is a barrister's chambers which specialises in legal advice and advocacy in the areas of clinical negligence and personal injury, commercial dispute resolution, construction, insolvency, insurance, private client, professional liability and property. This recording is provided free of charge for information purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and should not be relied upon as such. No responsibility for the accuracy and or correctness of the information and commentary or for any consequences of relying on it is assumed or accepted by any member of Gatehouse Chambers or by Gatehouse Chambers as a whole.